Welcome to a, another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John, and joining me today, we have... This is Melinda. And this is Dustin. And we are going to be taking a look at Batman No Man's Land, Volume 3. This is going to look at the first six issues. So it's going to look at Shadow of the Bat, 89, Batman, 569, Detective Comics 736 and then Robin issues 68, 69 and 70. Batman No Man's Land Volume 3 is the new edition that they released. They released a volume of four and this was released in 2012 and covers a large number of issues. It is available from Amazon and you can also purchase it from eBay as well. The issues are also available individually as downloads and you can download them directly from the DC store and they're also available on Comixology as well where they retail for about £1.50, $1.50 adjusting for conversion rate. Although an important thing to remember is that Comixology have now changed their system so if you're in the UK you have to buy from the UK and if you're in America you have to buy from America. So... It features writing by Ian Edgington, who is well known for his work on X-Forces over at Marvel. Janet Harvey, who only ever wrote for No Man's Land. She never wrote anything after this. Larry Hammer, who wrote G.I. Joe issues and also worked on Wolverine comics as well over at Marvel. And of course, the famous Chuck Dixon. It features art by Jason Miner, who also did art for the Buffy the Vampire series across at Titan. Sergio Cariello, who did work on the Lone Ranger comic series. Mike Diocito Jr., who's also worked on the New Avengers and Staz Johnson. So the names aren't particularly well known, aside from obviously Chuck Dixon and Staz Johnson. Do you guys have any concept of kind of their writing and art styles before you read these comics? Or were you completely unaware of what was going on with them? Aside from Chuck Dixon, I had not had any experience with any of these writers or artists, to my knowledge anyway. I do think it's interesting that the the one writer wrote this and then nothing else ever again though well it's a well-known fact amongst tbu listeners that i am a huge fan of no man's land it's one of the reasons why i wanted to be on this episode was i think that uh no man's land one of the really cool things about it is that it was a major event that if you never read comics before you were new to comics you could get into it and learn a lot about a lot of characters and there's not very many events that happen like that over the course of the 75 years that Batman's been around, but it does happen a little bit more more regularly nowadays. But in the 90s, 
I was getting issues of Batman the Animated Series, the comic book, and I was reading those, and No Man's Land, the, the actual trade paperbacks of all the volumes, was my first introduction into the main Batman comics. Now, that being said, I wasn't really familiar with any of them. You know, going back now and reading them, I'm I'm much more familiar with some of them. Chuck Dixon's probably the one that I'm the most familiar with. The other creators, I mean... They're, and, I, and I hate to say this, but in some ways they're kind of throwaway because very little of them have anything to do with Batman outside of No Man's Land. And when they do, it's not, they never really were huge. So that being said, you know, going back now and reading the comics, I think Chuck Dixon, like I said, is the most, you know, well known of them. And in some ways, I think even reading it now, I think I have much more appreciation for Chuck dixon issues compared to some of the other ones because i've read so much of his other stuff so uh, yeah i'm the same i know uh, chuck dixon obviously through the robin issues that i've reviewed and uh, some of the other stuff that i've taken a look at as well in previous episodes i'm also a big fan of his work on on robin i didn't know anything about any of the others i've seen some of jason Miner's work on Buffy, my uh, girlfriend is a big Buffy fan um, and I've seen some of the comics for that and his artwork is okay it's very much similar to how he presents here but we'll obviously get into that as we go through the issues the others, again I didn't know anything about them, Janet Harvey I was surprised that she only ever did work for No Man's Land it seems at times that this is very much a testing ground for new artists. They get to tell a one-shot story, and if it does well, they're kept on. If it doesn't do well, then they tend to be moved on. Um, we've certainly seen that with people like Greg Rucker, who becomes a bit more consistent throughout, and also gets more and more opportunities to write comics as we go through. Whereas I think the others were sort of brought on just to tell one story and then moved across quite quickly. So with that being said, let's dig into Batman No Man's Land Volume 3 and find out if this is going to be DC's difficult third album. Shadow of the Bat opens with Batman beating up a man. It turns out that this man is a cannibal and Batman rescues a man who's captured in there. He's then summoned by a vicar and a child using a homemade bat signal. They ask Batman to look for a person who has been looking after them and the other orphans and victims of No Man's Land called the King. We cut to a man tied up on the floor. This is obviously the King. Two men discuss how they're going to use his water filter system to make themselves rich. However, they're interrupted by Killer Croc. It then moves back to Batman, who interrogates the Penguin as to the whereabouts of the King. Penguin is of no help, so he traces all the water traders, all of whom have been killed by Killer Croc. Batman then manages to track Croc to his hideout. They fight, and Batman finally beats Killer Croc. He then rescues the King and returns him to the group he was looking after. Batman opens with a group beating up a man outside a petrol station. They're stopped, however, by Batgirl. 
She then sends a signal and waits at the gas station. It then moves to Batman and Nightwing in the clock tower. Batman receives the signal, but does not send help as planned to her and instead moves Nightwing to another mission. Meanwhile, Batgirl waits at the station. The gang return this time with a rocket launcher, and despite Batgirl's best efforts, they blow up the petrol station. Batgirl gets annoyed and nearly kills them, only to be stopped by the man, saying that she doesn't want to become one of them. And it turns out, fortunately, that he had more gas stashed away so that they are able to provide petrol to the local hospital. And Batman is pleased with Batgirl's abilities and the result. Detective Comic opens with the story of Bane and his history of how he came to be. It then cuts to him using a transporter truck and car to reach Gotham. Batman, however, hears of Bane's arrival and tracks him down. They find moving through a number of locations. However, Bane escapes by telling him that he's placed a number of explosives under a nunnery. So Batman, rather than capturing Bane, goes to help the nuns. Robin 68 opens with Gearhead shooting down a water pipe. We then move to Batman and Robin, who talk about if Robin is with Batman, which Tim says that he is. We then cut to three men who are searching for some food, but are killed by the rat catcher who comes upon them. Robin, investigating food rumours, stumbles onto the rat catcher's hideout. However, he is discovered by the rat catcher. He's then attacked by the rat catcher and just manages to escape. Robin collapses with a high temperature and a heavy infection, only to be rescued by a group of lost children. Whilst this is taking place, Gearhead is searching for the food. However, they're caught by Mr. Freeze, who has overheard that there's a rumour of food as well. Freeze tortures Gearhead to reveal that they are looking for a food store. Victor comes across Ratcatcher and forces Ratcatcher to lead Victor to the food store. Meanwhile, the group of children are told by Robin about the food store and that he's trying to look it. And they go after this, despite Robin's protestations. They arrive, and all but one are scared off by Freeze at the Ratcatcher. Robin arrives and takes on Freeze using a water pipe to freeze him. And the issue ends with Batman saying that Robin has done a good job as they lead away Freeze and the Ratcatcher, and that he will now look after him. We'll start off with just getting your thoughts on Batman No Man's Land in general. What do you guys think of this idea it's been such a big event and it's considered by many to be a great event within batman's history and a series of really good comics what do you guys kind of think of the idea and the concept behind it no man's land to me has always felt like a a bit of a different Batman story than most because the precipitating event was not one that he could control. You cannot control your city being cut off by an earthquake. Um, so I think that, that that initial lack of control that he has there to me makes the story feel a little bit different than some of the other large events that he's gone through because this is a man that, that has planned for every contingency, has planned for every possible outcome but this is something that you can do your best to plan for, 
but you you really can't because this is this is a natural disaster and it's affecting so many people and where do you even start with this i think that you know the size of this story some people find a little bit daunting going into it but it's I think to do it in any less amount of time and any less pages, any fewer pages, would be would be doing the story such a dis- disservice and, and an injustice. So, I I really enjoy No Man's Land, in part because it it does read so differently, and that's that's how I feel about No Man's Land as a whole. So I mean, outside of just saying you know telling everybody the exact same thing I already said about you know this was the story that. I was first introduced to the mainstream comics. The the thing with No Man's Land, I think what makes it really good is the fact that it, it is like one of like it is a really, really big event. It deals with so many different characters. You know, Nightfall was a pretty big event in of itself and it had a, to a degree a good amount of characters, but this has like twice as many characters involved you know the fact that all of the different areas of gotham are basically turf they're basically like civic turfs for these different villains and different characters and it also is like a huge shake-up for so many different things the fact that you know gotham is cut off from everything else batman's trying to keep order but it's not really that easy because he doesn't really have the you know the backup as far as the police force and, you know, you know, you arrest somebody, what do you do? You bring them to Arkham Asylum or you bring them to Blackgate, but you can't do that in the situations like this. So the small amount of police that are there are having to deal with these people that Batman's apprehending. Are they going to break loose again? Are, are we going to be back exactly where it is? So, I mean, there's a lot of different elements here that you really never really experienced in in these stories now that that now that being said there's there's plenty of other situations there's or i should say there's plenty of other things that about this series one of the other things is that so many different series tied into this that i honestly to this day i don't really think that there's been an event as massive as no man's land this took place over the course of almost two years and almost every single title that had a Batman character in it was tying into this. You know, series like Robin, Shadow of the Bat, Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman, Detective Comics. And all of these different series that involved Batman. I mean, this event was so big, they wanted to have every single series dealing with the events of this event. And... I think that in some ways that's really smart, but then in also some ways you'll see that you'll get these like off issues where eh, they're not really furthering, further advancing the story. They're just these fill-in issues to tell a story that's taking place in the same time and the same places as the other stories, but isn't really adding anything. And I feel like that was the case with the story with uh, dealing with Batgirl this time around. It feels like there's just... You know they're 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 not necessarily advancing the story because everything had to fill in or f- had to tie into what was going on. You do get these one-off issues, but I think that the overall idea of No Man's Land was a brilliant idea when it comes to you know not only having this huge effect on the Batman universe, but basically turning everything upside down and having to see what happens when it comes to Batman and his allies reacting to it. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with with all those thoughts. I certainly feel that it's something that DC have tried to replicate and certainly tried to to bring back in a number of ways, especially with the New 52, where we're starting to see 
great big universe spanning events and storylines such as death in the fam uh, death of the family where they bring in all the batman stories that are running at that time and they tie them all in together to to produce those but i don't think that they could ever make such an event as they did with no man's land again without risking comparisons to it and without i think really annoying people as well i i think this is sort of such an event and such a one-off that it it kind of does have that holy grail almost status to an extent but as you say there are some some duff issues certainly the the idea of having gotham isolated and cut off isn't something that's is something that we're going to see repeated a lot i'm especially thinking of of scott snyder's zero year that's going on at the moment within batman that he's telling how do you guys feel that this compares to that and do you think that dc within the the new 52 must make a place for batman no man's land within that i don't think that dc is necessarily obligated to create a place for it it would certainly be nice if they did because this was you know Dustin just said it spanned two years this was a huge epic sprawling storyline and it was one of it was incredibly well written and to to just ignore it and to sweep it under the table that I feel like it would be disrespectful to all the work that was put into it I realize again the new 52 was was brought in so that you you could jump right in you didn't have to read anything going back you you could just move forward this was one of the titles that i thoroughly enjoyed reading when i was learning about batman because there was there was so much going on in it and so many characters and it provides such an introduction if you have not been exposed to these characters this gives you a really great idea with them if they want to redo a type of storyline like this i think it would be very difficult because no matter what you're going to get people that go back and read this and they're going to compare them side by side and I think it would be difficult to accomplish the same same type of quality and the same type of magic that this story created. I think to a degree the problem is that they in some ways I think they try to replicate things like this with, you know, specifically Zero Year and how Zero Year and Night of the Owls and uh, Death of the Family, you had these crossovers, but it's not nearly to the degree that they were in the 90s. Even Nightfall was probably a bigger crossover event. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, over the last probably 10 years, DC has gotten this attitude where, you know, everything was an event, everything was tying over, and I think people got really sick of it. So when the New 52 started, they really told themselves, Yes, we're going to try to limit the amount of crossovers. I mean, when that was one of the biggest pushes with the New 52 was, well, we're going to do this New 52, but you're not going to get this crossover fatigue where you're going to have to pick up everything. And then the first set of books within the New 52 that had the crossovers was Night of Owls just about nine months after the new 52 launched we had the night of owls crossover that involved all of the other books that had batman characters in them and that's what and they decided that's what they were going to do and the problem is i think that 
it doesn't really work as well because by saying we're having this crossover, but you can read them all individually and it's not going to affect whether or not you read the main story. It's not going to affect whether or not you read it. That's complete BS. You either got to go all out or you don't do it at all because the problem is that we've seen this multiple times, even more recently with Death of the Family, Zero Year, Gothitopia. We've we've seen this where the the you know a series like Birds of Prey or Batwing or Nightwing or you know some of these other series will be telling their story. They'll have to stop telling their story for a month to tie into the the event. Then two months later, they'll have to tie into another event, putting their entire story that they have been telling on hold. And I think you either got to go all out or you just don't do it at all because it's just not worth it. And them constantly saying, well, you don't have to read all of them to to understand what's going on in the story because they're all one-off issues. Then what's the point of doing it? The whole reason they're doing it is, is it's like basically a marketing scheme. It's for you to go pick up these other titles that are tying into the really popular storyline that's currently going on. You know, back when No Man's Land happened, it was literally all the titles are tying in. That's what's happening. It wasn't, oh, well, we can see that this story is really successful, so we're going to start tying all these other series in. It wasn't like that. So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, they tried, they, they're trying to replicate it. But they don't want to replicate it to the point where you have to pick up everything because people just aren't going to want to pay the money for it. I don't really think that everybody's going to want to pay the money for it to begin with. So what's the difference whether or not they're going to pick it up? I don't think somebody's going to stop picking up a series because it starts tying into something else. If anything, it's probably going to have the exact same sales one way or the other. I would certainly agree with all those points. I think... Definitely, Dustin, what you say, that they're trying to recreate it and they're just, it's its not working because they're forcing artists to put it on hold, but they're not really making everything tied together. It, they are just standalone storylines, and if you don't read them, you don't read them. If you do read them, you do, and it, it just does seem completely pointless, whereas almost all these issues do tell a tale, and you see them crossing over in No Man's Land from from one comic, so one issue will appear in Shadow of the Bat, the next one will appear in Detective, and you have to get all of them to get a complete picture. So with that, what did you guys think of Shadow of the Bat with Ian Edgington and Jason Minor as the artist? Personally, I thought this issue was really good. It's nice... As I've said in other reviews, it's nice to see what else is going on in Gotham, and I felt that this was one of these stories. It focused, yes, it was Batman trying to take down Croc, but I felt that it focused very much on somebody who was trying to help in No Man's Land, somebody who was using that their expertise that they'd gained, and the fact that he was an ex-con trying to go right, I thought was a nice touch uh, and he was trying to help people and to set his life on the right track and, and Batman appreciated that and I thought it's this is something that makes to me No Man's Land work because you don't just get the storylines where it's superheroes tackling supervillains and everyone's running around you get these occasional breaks where you take a look at these people and I did actually enjoy the artwork as well I thought the way that it was drawn looked really nice. 
you felt he that the king was was really beaten up when you had a look at him. He had blood coming down him. He had swelling. He had bruises. Killer Croc looked a bit weird. He seemed to have lost his lips and looked very, very odd. Not quite as reptilian as he has been before. And I thought that was a shame. But other than that, I thought it was really good. What did you guys think of the first issue? Some of the bat was probably... I would say it was one of my favorite ones that went along with this. I really, like you, John, I did enjoy the human element of the story. The fact that we had this ex-con who was trying to go straight and trying just to help people, but not in the, I'm going to give you something. It's it's the whole, you know, te- give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat forever. I like that because... Uh, that is what people really did need to be doing in a situation like that. I thought it was very interesting that Killer Croc seemed to be suffering just a huge identity crisis through this whole thing. And the artwork maybe depicted that a little. He did look a little off through a lot of the story. But again, going back to this, it was the human element that made this one so interesting. Um, you had the detective element where Batman followed the followed the trail and thought, okay, well, who would know how to do this? How do they know how to do it? Okay, now I have to find him. You know, and it had him going to Penguin. And I, I love when Penguin shows up and he's not a ridiculous caricature. He's he's a mobster who, you know, is trying to run his illegitimate business and that's all he wants to do, and that's fine. And, you know, asking for help from Batman at the end of it, worth a shot. But this was probably one of the better stories through this whole batch. Yeah, I think I made a mistake earlier when I was talking about which ones weren't great. I, I, I was referring to the Batgirl one as the one that I wasn't a huge fan of amongst these. The Shadow of the Bat one was actually pretty good with the, the story of the King. It is one of those perfect examples of telling a story that's not just your run-of-the-mill Batman goes after a bad guy and that's that's what's, what's happening. You know, we're finding out about the people of Gotham and how they're kind of coping with the effects of the earthquake and the fact that they're cut off from the world and they really just they don't even they can barely survive when it comes to that so i think that in in some ways it's really interesting to see something like this the fact that killer croc is you know is involved in the story it really doesn't make one difference or the other whether or not he's involved you know i guess you know he wants to be the king okay fine and he's trying to take out this other guy who could care less whether or not he's the king or not he's just trying to help people so I think that in, to that to that regard, I think the story does a really good job, and 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 the art is actually really good as well in this issue. Um, the one thing I did like the inclusion of Penguin, kind of explaining that Penguin's kind of, you know, he's running the black market or the trade market essentially, and you kind of see the the inner workings of how the economy is now working within Gotham because they are cut off from everything and they don't have what they really need. You see the fact that there's an auction taking place and there's these guys who are auctioning different things that people would need for better things and then they go and trade that with uh, Penguin and then there's the entire time there's this guy out there who's basically trying to help people you know for free and he's kind of disrupting the trade market that Penguin and these other guys have have going and you know how he has basically built enemies because of that so it's actually a really interesting story I did picking up on your points Dustin I did kind of get a feeling it was that 
if you're kind of looking at it deeply, it's kind of a swipe at society kind of a bit more as a whole. You know, it tends to be very money focused and trying to get better things and getting something and then getting the better thing. And there's this guy who's going through and he's trying to just help people and and just, as you said, he's disrupting everything. And I think that kind of looks at how a lot of people kind of look at those who do things for free as disrupting things or to an extent being naive about how they could make money off this and and go forward and make money and i thought that was quite an interesting kind of theme through through that storyline that you do tend to pick up in some of these issues however i don't think we could really say that about batman uh, the next comic which is written by janet harvey and features the art of sergio cariello I'm, I'm going to be honest, I can kind of see why Janet Harvey's never written again. This is a massive filler issue that doesn't really go anywhere, doesn't really do anything, and is just there just because they had a spare issue going and they needed something to fill it. And it, it actually comes off as kind of a little bit preachy and a little bit, moralistic uh, to an extent that they're really kind of great I think that the artwork was quite nice and that you kind of felt that there was a lot of action going on I didn't have a problem with that the issue is very much for me with the writing with this one and it feels like they told Janet Harvey to use Cassandra Kane because she is a new character that they've introduced and that they've brought into into it and and she's had her first appearances and that they really wanted to kind of push her and make her do stuff and bring her very much into the fold and to be honest i felt like you could pretty much just replace this with any one of the batman family i think specifically perhaps asriel or tim as Robin could have filled this role and you could have told exactly the same story. I don't didn't feel like there was anything personal to to Batgirl or anything meaningful happening throughout this this issue. And to be honest, the characterizations for all of the characters in it felt really clumsy and very simplistic uh, to be honest and I, I didn't particularly enjoy this issue at all did you guys kind of share that feeling or are you feeling that perhaps this is an issue that has a bit more praiseworthy than I've derided it I actually really did enjoy this issue for uh, for a few reasons I, I do agree that the characterization was very very paint by numbers there was not a lot there but I think that one of the things to keep in mind is Cassandra Kane really was a relatively new character at this point. She's still going through the paces. She's still learning that, you know, you don't kill. And, I mean, obviously she does know that, but her first instinct is still to go kill. And I think it's nice to see someone other than Batman talking about 
principles and not becoming like that. I think this was more a story about her growth than it was necessarily about No Man's Land. So it might not belong in No Man's Land. So to the overall story, I can see why, yeah, that whatever, this could have been any character. But I think to her character, this was an important story. It was where she got to help save the day, not necessarily in a huge way. The hospital generators can run for a little bit longer, and that's great. But it was a moment of growth for her. Uh, the art I really enjoyed. Nothing overly stand out about it, but it was it was the style that I like, which was fairly common back uh, when this story was first being published. But yeah, my big thing is I enjoyed it as a Cassandra Kane character growth story rather than a No Man's Land story. Yeah, dealing with it specifically as a No Man's Land story, like, okay, I guess in some ways it's showing another random person's story within Gotham, the guy who owns the gas station, and how despite the fact that he has absolutely nothing left, he's still defending his ground because that's just what he's doing. So, I mean, in a, in a way, okay, that's that's in some ways interesting and, and nice, but in a completely different way, the, it's it's telling something that really isn't nearly as interesting as the other story of you know the king and how he's helping multiple people. This is literally just guy one guy being selfish and saying I, I'm standing up for what I believe in my principles, but is it really benefiting anybody besides himself? No. And then you find out at the end of the issue that he's defending it for absolutely no reason other than principles, and it doesn't really warrant anything that just occurred. That being said. As far as a character growth story, like Melinda said about Cass Kane, you know, I, I will be the first to admit that I really did not like Cass Kane until probably about 2002. Her, you know, entire introduction as a character, her kind of being thrusted into the, the mainstream of the stories because she came about right in the midst of No Man's Land. I really didn't like that. I really didn't understand the character when I was first reading her uh, initially when I first read No Man's Land. I didn't understand who she was. I knew she wasn't Batgirl because at the same time you had Batman the Animated Series showing that Barbara Gordon was Batgirl. I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand what was actually occurring. So as a new reader reading the character, I really disliked her. Even to this day, like I really didn't start really appreciating the character until she kind of starts you know on her own and and really the the solo series that she had that focused on her specific story and things like that really when she was a character that was just popping up in these other bat titles she really was not a character that i really wanted to get behind it really wasn't until she went out on her own so or into her own series so you know as far as like i didn't like this issue nearly as much as the other issues and I'll just leave it at that. I can certainly see your point, Melinda, that there is, is to an extent, a, a Cassandra Kane growth story. I mean, it's, it's kind of her dealing with, to an extent, failure, and then it all turns out okay. But I still don't think it was strong enough of a character story to warrant the tale being told um it, it's only really at the end that she fails and that's because to be honest that the story essentially just descends into a farce towards the end i mean the guy turns up with a rocket launcher and is essentially goaded into blowing it up by some other people 
it's just it just came off as as ridiculous and to an extent pointless as i said i i do still think that you can essentially swap out any cassandra came for any other character and it tells exactly the same story with that one i kind of i do get the feeling that from well from from me and dustin that certainly that we felt it was very much a filler one i think the next one detective comics 736 which is written by larry hammer and mike uh, decito jr is a fantastic example of filler and a story that goes nowhere in this bane essentially turns up and uses car transporter to get across and then kills some people through an explosion and then batman finds him and at the same time we also get the obligatory story of how bane came to be which for some reason seemed to appear every time a new writer decided to take on to it we get the standard horrible flashbacks that are now really starting to great yes we know he grew up in a prison and that he's now on venom and now he's not on venom and he beat people and he broke batman's back we get the point by this point he's an established character the art is awful as well everyone is over muscled and overstimulated and they end up just looking like really badly wrinkled shirts i didn't enjoy it at all the artwork was standard in places and as i said with everybody looking at as if they hadn't ironed their t-shirts before leaving the house the story itself goes nowhere it literally introduces the fact that bane is now in gotham and he basically prevents batman beating him up by threatening to blow up a nunnery which fair enough that's probably something bane would do but it was such a bad get out clause that by the end of it i I just thought do you know what that kind of just sums up this story i to be honest would have blown up a nunnery if i could have got out of reading this story what did you guys think i'm so happy you said that it was the biggest throwaway uh in this bunch of comics i when i initially read this and then went back again to reread this to talk about it i had completely forgotten this story even existed i we already have such a huge cast of characters and rogues running around that to bring bane in in volume three just felt like such overkill and his entrance into no man's land was so overblown and for someone who is supposed to be such a master tactician i'm sure he could have found a quieter way to come in and kill batman if that's really what he wanted if he wanted to take over no man's land and kill batman he could have done it more quietly i'm sick of seeing his origin story again yes we know it's depressing yes we know you grew up in a prison yes we know you hate batman that is such a rehash that that felt like filler within the filler comic i do have a bit of difficulty 
not because I think they've ever portrayed Bane as overly religious, but given his upbringing and where he was, I do find it a bit difficult that he would have blown up a nunnery. That that kind of seems a little bit off to me, and I'm not 100% sure where that characterization comes from in my head. But this, this was just an issue that I did not enjoy out and out. He... Bane, the way he's drawn, he has muscles on muscles on muscles. It looks like a smaller man is coming out of his trapezius. Like, it, it, it just looks terrible. And I'm, I can't stand when Bane is drawn that way, even though that is how he's drawn the majority of the time. This is not an over-muscled over man. This is a man with muscles that don't exist. You can't just invent new muscles to make him look bigger, you do need to work within the confines of what the human body is actually capable of producing. So I, I did not like this issue at all. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, uh, yes, his entrance into no man's land was blown over the top, but that was probably to me, the most interesting thing about the issue was the fact that, you know, he decides he's going to use this car carrier truck to as a ramp to get over, and then for some reason he's not even actually going to be in the car once it gets over to the other side. He's somehow going to be on the bottom of the bridge using it as a monkey bars. You know, the thing is, in 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 they probably didn't need to add Bane to the mix. I can understand why Bane would come into the mix. That part is at least, like... You know, understandable the fact that oh, Gotham is at in, in shambles and he wants to go in there and pick up the pieces. That's fine, but like in every way possible, I think that Bane, like it was already said before, if Bane was going to actually try to take over No Man's Land in Gotham City, he would have tried. He would have done this much more, much more tactically, and he, they definitely did not show that here. Um, here they have him basically be right up front about hey i'm busting in and everyone's gonna know about it and everyone's gonna know that i'm here now and like to me it just seems like that would be kind of the opposite way i would actually think that he would you know raise up his army within gotham without knowing anybody's it without letting anybody know that he's actually there just slowly raise up his army then you know slowly start taking over areas and nobody knows who's really at the head of this guy who's taking everybody out that could have been a much more interesting story rather than i'm here batman and i broke you before so now i'll break you again i would completely agree with with those it's, it's massive overkill so the final three issues are Robin 68, 69 and 70 and they're written by Chuck Dixon and feature the artwork by Staz Johnson. Now uh, I've made it clear on, on previous reviews that I tend to think that Chuck Dixon can be very hit and miss in his storytelling and his characterization. He seems to be an artist who, a storyteller who veers between really, really good and really, really bad. And then there are sort of a few issues that fall into the middle of those. And I would say that these three issues are one of those that kind of fall into the middle of of his storytelling ability. I thought that the artwork by Stairs Johnson, as usual, is very good. I don't have any problems with that. He's a very, very talented artist. 
I think Chuck Dixon's characterization in this in, with Robin isn't great. I do wonder why Batman would question Tim about whether he's with him and whether he is going to help him out and support him because that doesn't seem something that that we've seen between Tim and Batman before. They've always had quite a close relationship that's developed and they've grown to, to trust each other and why Batman would now turn around and be questioning that seemed a very odd characterization moment there and I I felt it was rather out of place I think what would have been nicer and what we'd seen in previous comics is that Robin questions himself and asks whether he is able to cope in this situation whether he's good enough and Batman encourages him and puts his arm around him and says look you know I trust you I think you can do a good job and I don't ever get it wrong with notable exceptions and I think that would have been a much more interesting characterization the the searching for the food bank and the hidden army stores was very much again it felt like it was filler like there was nothing really happening Ratcatcher was obviously trying to hold the food because he needed to feed his rats for some reason because in a city where it's breaking down let's face it rats find it very hard to survive apparently again a characterization i didn't think was was particularly okay i, I think rat catcher is very much a survivalist someone who could survive the situation and be absolutely fine and i don't think that really came across and the the use of freeze felt very out of place why he would team up with the rat catcher and go after this food store seems a bit weird considering he at that time is developed his section of Gotham and that he's starting to expand and move outwards and starting to put pressure on other territories I don't quite go get why he'd go on a personal mission for for this food store and why he just wouldn't send other people to do it also, I, I really dislike the lost tribe of children. I don't get what they were doing there, what the point was. You know, these, uh, as said before uh, by Tim, he goes, well, these were just, they were kids at school 20 minutes ago. Most of these people's parents from the school that Tim goes to is, frankly, a very white middle class school. And, and they would have gone um, from Gotham. And it just seems a bit ridiculous that they are left and that they're running loose under, underground. We've seen through the brutality of No Man's Land, you know, and the, the idea that they've sort of all been playing Dungeons and Dragons before, and that's about as far as their survivalist goes, would suggest that, frankly, they'd, they'd get quite quickly picked off, especially in no man's land so the fact that they've survived seemed a bit odd to me and it seemed like a very misfit three issues to be honest um that didn't 
that kind of went somewhere and that had Robin doing his first sort of mission back in Gotham, but that was kind of all it was. But at the same time, I didn't think it was overtly terrible. It's not the worst set of issues that we've reviewed in this section of six, to be honest. No, this this felt very middle of the road. I okay, I am spending my life reading about a torso strapped to another person's back, and I thought maybe it's time to make some changes. But that's not today. I I thought that there were elements of this that were just very very ridiculous. I didn't like the character of the rat catcher, and that has as much to do with the fact that I don't like rats as it did to do with him as a character. I just... Rats will always survive. They will always find a way. So I thought the idea of a, of a rat catcher who felt the need to take care of these things when, in reality, if he'd had them trained, they could have been taking care of him. The, the tribe of lost children in the sewers under the streets, that was another very, very ridiculous story. But at the same time, if the group had been a bit smaller, I could have seen it as, yeah, no, that's their coping mechanism. They don't know how to deal with what's really going on in their lives. So they're reverting to what what they know, which is, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and high quests and this, that and the other thing. Um, and I think more than that, they were they were there to kind of act as a parallel story between what was going on with Batman and Robin, with Batman doubting Robin and Robin doubting these kids. I think that that was supposed to be what they were illustrating, but it was it was very, very poorly done. And I think, John, the mistrust that you mentioned between Batman and Robin, their relationship, from what I remember, <clears throat> is is somewhat strained at this point, and they are they are not necessarily on the best of terms. They are freshly reunited after some some arguing so Batman strikes me as the kind of person that you know you you have his trust at first you've burned him great he he now has a reason to always mistrust and to question um, and you can earn it back I mean obviously Tim does but I think that this is really the rebuilding part of their relationship within these three issues I did not like the inclusion of Freeze either he he felt very out of place. He is not a villain that I would expect to survive well in a city that's falling apart, has spotty electricity and limited access to whatever you need to stay alive when your body temperature needs to be that low. So I, there were elements that I liked. I liked some of the relationship bits, but too much of this was just ridiculous for me to take it truly seriously. Yeah, the thing was, I don't think that this was necessarily a bad story. I just think it was poorly executed. Going back to what Melinda said about the the fact that it was a parallel between Batman's and uh, Robin and Robin and the children. Well, the thing is, if that w- if that was actually the case and it was supposed to be this parallel, then why is it that the kids ran scared, Robin didn't run scared? It's not really that great of a parallel if that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, there was the one kid who stayed behind and pushed the boxes onto Ratcatcher, but outside of that, I don't know. It just 
I'm not going to like this was definitely not the worst story of the of the group. I I actually like the idea of like all of these characters popping up and just kind of seeing how they interact with uh you know Gearhead and Mr. Freeze and Ratcatcher and seeing how somehow they all just, you know, they happen to come across each other all because of the sa- exact same situation where they're looking for, you know, supplies to basically get them money in some way or make them, you know, more powerful amongst the people so that they can possibly have their own territory. I think it's a cool idea. Ratcatcher is, is, has, has really been this character who has been one of Tim Drake's main villains. Like if you were to just take Tim Drake's rogues, rogues gallery, Ratcatcher would be one of the, the villains that would probably be more so Tim Drake than, than Batman. So it makes sense. Mr. Freeze is, didn't really have a huge role amongst the the main storyline of No Man's Land, so it's interesting that he's just randomly keeping himself in the sewer. I guess it's because of the, the, the water, and he can freeze it, and maybe it keeps him colder, so, you know, he's, he mentioned in the story that he was there because he was stuck, because he couldn't go very far, because the device that he had is very was very clunky and heavy and he wasn't able to move it very easily. So he wasn't going to be able to be far away from it for very long. You know, the whole idea of the other two guys, gearhead and the other guy, you know, walking through the sewers, just basically trying to figure out what the heck to do. It just shows that, you know, not everybody has this master plan. You know, everybody can't be like Bane and, you know, park a carrier truck on a bridge and, fly a truck over to to do what he wants to do everybody just sometimes people are just in it for themselves and they don't really know what to do they don't have a plan and this was a story that kind of told us that at the same time it was also kind of showing us the the willpower that tim drake has and how he you know if he's determined to get something done he'll do it and you know, I really don't think it's funny because at, at one point Batman's like, oh, I need your detective skills on this. And honestly, I don't really feel like the detective skills really, you know, you know, accented all that much in this story. He really doesn't really deduce anything. He really doesn't solve anything. He just it's like happenstance that, you know, stuff happens the way it does. So. I don't really understand why Batman necessarily sent him on this mission other than Batman needed somebody to do it and he was the one who was around. The fact that he at turn puts his his body into a position where not only does he have a ton of rat bites but now he's you know he's he basically dived into a pile of poop so that he could get away. You know the whole the whole thing is he they're showing his you know his his will to basically serve the cause of Batman, and I think that that part of it was accomplished really well. Okay, so overall, I am going to give these issues three and a half batarangs out of five. I don't think they're brilliant. I think there are some okay issues in here specifically Shadow of the Bat and the Robin stories as well. I thought those ones, Chuck Dixon, as we, we've just explained, well, as I've just explained, I think wrote a very average middle-of-the-road story that didn't really, for me personally, didn't really go anywhere and that I didn't think kind of furthered it 
to be honest. I do still think the characterization is is out of place um, through it, and it's it's a couple of characters too many, to be honest. And I, I don't quite get where the whole uh, thing with Gearhead was was going as well. The Shadow of the Bat, I thought, was perhaps the best out of all of these issues. It was nice to see characters and and how life was going on inside of Gotham and how normal people are coping and that's something that I really felt No Man's Land has done very well throughout them. However, Batman and Detective were awful filler comics that you don't have to read to understand what's going on in No Man's Land. They don't further the story along any further and they don't add anything to it at all. They're almost non-entities and you could really just save your money and and skip those issues, which is why I'm going to give it three and a half because out of total, there's probably about four average issues in this one, in my opinion. I would say there's one good issue, three okay issues, and one just terrible issue. So I'm going to go three out of five just based solely for this review on how little I cared for the Bane storyline and how how much it upset me throughout the reading of the rest of them. As far as the overall, I mean, like, I think each story has its ups and downs uh, or pros and cons, I, I should say. But the I think overall, this is really kind of like, again... This is one of those things where you can tell how long the story is when you get a volume that focuses on these issues and there's hardly anything that actually happens to make you believe that anything is actually furthering along with the events of No Man's Land. You know, we don't have anything happening where it's like we're just dealing with it. That's that's what's basically happening in the, this group of stories is that every single one of the stories is talking about the fact that they're literally just dealing with the events that have happened. And that's all that's happening. There's nothing else happening. It's not like they're coming to any sort of conclusion. We're not seeing Bruce Wayne go to Washington. You know, nothing's happening. It's literally... This is this is what's happened. We're dealing with it, and you know, in some ways that in some ways that feels kind of like filler. And I'm not a huge fan of filler, but I when you read all of it combined, and it, it's a very different read when you read. You start at volume one and you read through all the volumes together. It's a very different story than just reading this one single trade. So. I'm going to give this also three out of five. Some of the art was great. Some of it wasn't. Some of the stories were good and others were not that great. But, I mean, I'll give it a little bit more than just complete, you know, middle of the range score. Just because if you do read it all together, it does it does turn out a little bit better than just reading these stories by themselves. Okay, so that's all the reviews for... The first part of Batman No Man's Land Volume 3, and it seems the consensus is this is a very middle-of-the-road set of stories and probably not that crucial to be read by anyone. It's, it's essentially the killer's third album. So, that being said, that completes the review for this one. Next episode, we will be taking a look at some more issues from Batman no man's land volume three 
And we're going to be taking a look at Azrael, Agent of the Bat 58, Batman, Legends of the Dark Knight 122, Batman, Shadow of the Bat 90, Batman 570, Detective Comics 737, and Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 123. So tune in next time to have a look at those episodes. Uh, those tune in next time to have a look at those issues, and don't forget to pick them up as well. And if you want to leave uh, your reviews or comments or have an opinion about the issues that we've reviewed have an opinion about the issues that we will be reviewing in the future do feel free to leave a comment underneath the podcast feed on the batman universe website and we will read them out and we will uh, give uh, credence to your views if you've got any questions as well uh, or queries do feel free to leave them there and we will read them out as well so that's it for this episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I've been your host, John. Thank you very much for listening. And I've been joined by... Melinda. And Dustin. And as I said, thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. See you later. Have a good one.